0: he climbed the ranks from street cop to police chief in two different cities he's here to talk about one of the least understood and least talked about aspects of law enforcement which affects us all welcome to the law enforcement today radio show i'm your host my name's john j wiley in addition to being a radio broadcaster i'm a retired police sergeant Download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE, the world renowned treatment program for first responders, because at times helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24 7 information, call 833 776 1420. That's 833-776-1420. Or online at FHEHealth.com. That's fhe health.com under programs you'll find details about shatterproof joining us from massachusetts we have ed cronin on the phone ed is a retired chief of police and he works his way from street cop to being chief of police at two different departments ed thanks so much for your service and thanks for being guests on law enforcement today's show very much appreciated
1: thank you it's a pleasure to be here
0: we're going to talk about something that really it's one of these things that's it's a difficult concept to have, and most people in America don't understand, and I'm I I thinking about it. We're talking about street sense. We're talking about hanky, police experience, all those sorts of things. What gets your hackles up? What makes your alarm bells ring that something's not right with these people? And it's something that really doesn't get talked about.
1: I think it's exactly what you said. It's something that people feel that are in the profession, but have a hard time articulating it and talking about what it really is
0: without going into courtroom drama and all the legalities there's what we need is called reasonable suspicion to stop stop someone that's short of probable cause, and probable cause is you need for arrest so reasonable suspicion I had to look at when we testified in court and I'll put it this way, and you can explain a little further. I could look at someone. They knew I was a proactive cop. They knew I knew what was going on in the street, and they would look at me a certain way. I knew it was on. Granted, you need to explain a lot more than
1: that in court to stop someone. Right, right, absolutely. Um, But I think once you've been on the street enough and you've come in contact with enough people, you've talked to enough people, I think unconsciously you get a feeling for uh, people's physical reactions a lot of time when you look at them. And sometimes there's a transmission sometimes of uh, almost like guilt when you look at certain people and you get that feedback and that um, sense that something isn't quite right here. So it makes you want to ask questions and go a little bit further.
0: One of the things that we would do, and here's a, a phrase we used in Baltimore, and every department's a little bit different, but if someone had a gun, and they had a gun, illegal gun on them somewhere, when they made eye contact with you, they inevitably, almost subconsciously, would reach for the gun and do what we called a dance. And we use a different term for that, and then they realized, uh-oh, I'm strapped, and it was on. And you could tell right away, by looking at them, when I got to court, Ed, I'd have to explain a lot more. Hey, as a known drug area, uh, I knew the the, the, sur- the suspect from prior interactions with them. Uh, I knew by their appearance, they, they appeared to have a bulge in their waistband, which appeared to be possibly a weapon. All these other things you had to go into, but it all boiled down to that initial, immediate response, which I can't explain to this day.
1: I know exactly what you're talking about. And uh, it's a sense... Um And what I've learned uh, is something that not everybody has in the profession. As a matter of fact, I'd say a small percentage actually have it. I was recently reading Bill Bratton's book, The Profession, and he has a way that he talks about that issue. He said that when he was long in his career and he was coming, he came to a kind of a crossroad where he was either going to be a detective or he was going to go up to an administrative uh, type of position. And he said I never had what the detectives had. I've never had that sixth sense. I've never been able to sit in a room with someone and know what they're thinking before they even say anything. And I chose to go the administrative route. But I thought that was a really good insight from somebody who's very, uh, you know, seasoned in the field, but realized that that was something special.
0: There was a time when I went from police officer to sergeant. I thought I wanted to have a squad full of guys like me. Guys, that means men and women. And I found out rather early on that I needed to have a good balance. I needed report takers, I needed proactive cops, and I needed administrators. I couldn't have all of one. If I had all guys like me,
1: it would have been a nightmare. Right. (laughs) I I can absolutely... uh tell you a situation one time where uh, there was a senior police officer when I was a young guy and I came on and this guy was the best police officer I ever met in my life Uh, I remember one day when I was a sergeant and we had a shooting and a crime scene and uh, this guy always seemed to have the answers and uh, we were all done with it we couldn't find the weapon we were clearing the place he gets out of the car he pulls up what's going on he walks in the backyard he lifts up a board he picks up the gun you know, you just can't articulate that to people. Um, <laughs> by the same token, he had a uh, kind of uh, what I would call a little bit of a scatterbrain about him. And I think I'm a little bit like that at times, honestly, uh, where he could be in another place while you were talking to him. You know, uh, one of his friends told me one time they picked up a prisoner and uh, while they were talking, he kept looking at him while the prisoner was in the back seat, and they were driving. And the guy ran off the road and then came back on the road like nothing even happened and kept driving so <laughs> it's I don't know if it's something you know that we're wired for uh, but it's there
0: it's a, a blessing and a curse I, I think yes. and, well, I, I'm glad you said what Bill Bratton said and by the way he was uh police chief was it in Los Angeles
1: oh he was. Los Angeles, twice in New York, once in the metro in New York. I mean, the uh, transit, and once in Boston.
0: Yeah, he was quite accomplished. And when someone of that stature goes, listen, I was not a good street cop. I, I was more of an administrator. I have a lot more respect for him than I had before this conversation.
1: Yeah, and that's not a knock on anybody because it takes, like you said, it takes the whole gamut of police officers because someone who maybe doesn't have a sense... Certainly, like Bratton, didn't
0: lack in courage. No, he he had he had it all, and we'll we'll return to the conversation about how you develop street sense and what it Mm -hmm. is and how you describe it. Before that, I want to go to early in your career. There's a time where I'm a rookie, you're rookie, and we don't know you know what from you know what, and we have these old timers that that talk to us. And I was very fortunate; I had a lot of vietnam combat veterans and also we had a few korean war veterans who are commanders or command staff but they were very demanding and they also were understanding that you had a learning curve and that's where we learned everything about policing and the terms we use nowadays community policing was just everyday policing back then
1: there's truth to that um they they it was a simpler time, though I have to say, because I remember that time period. Actually, I might even go back a little bit further, because I remember a couple of WW two guys on the job when I came on. And but it was a simpler time, you know. Um, we didn't have the diversity issues that we have today. We didn't have the you know the, the development of the constitutional law. The police officers were uh, they were a whole different thing in those days. They were a symbol of what was right in the world yeah it
0: was a different time and i grew up reading joseph Wamba and i and his stories and i was deeply impacted by them and the television shows we returned our conversation with ed cronin who by the way is retired police chief we're going to return to our conversation about street sense developing street sense what is it how do you explain it and more don't go anywhere we'll be right back When your job is responding to emergencies, and you can only take what you can carry, what do you pack? Good mental health may be the last thing that comes to mind, but it's also critical PPE to have with you in any situation. At FHE Health, we specialize in treating first responders' unique mental health needs. FHE Health's 30-day program equips first responders with the tools they need to be healthy and resilient in their jobs. Our trauma-based therapies and cutting-edge neurotechnologies relieve symptoms like insomnia and anxiety, teach healthy coping skills, and restore brain health faster. Our integrated approach addresses psychiatric and medical issues at the same time for comprehensive healing. Peer group therapy with other first responders provides an added layer of support and connection that boosts the recovery process. Need a hand packing for the next emergency? For better mental health and peak performance, call FHE Health at 833-776-1420. Online at FHEHealth.com. during a conversation with Ed Cronin in the Law Enforcement Today show, Ed is retired police chief two times over. He started as a street cop, worked his way up the ranks, and by the way, We all start as street cops. When I say street cop, there's no higher compliment I can give someone. Uh, Police officers, terms a lot of people use. Law enforcement officers, another term a lot of people use. But for me, you've got street cops, and that's where your education is. That's where you work shift work. That's where you handle everything from soup to nuts. You show up, you work patrol, and you learn. I don't know of anybody that starts off as a detective and a police chief. I've never met them.
1: No, me either. Um, It's a learning curve, like you said earlier. uh, But the curve, in my estimation, is different for everybody.
0: It is. We have different skill sets. We have different things we bring to the table. And we all work different areas. And while the the demands are similar, it can be – and I'll give you a good example. When I was a young street cop, I was getting out of my car. I was walking foot patrol. I walked into – uh, a business that was a notorious hangout for drug dealers. And as I opened the door, a guy I'd arrested a couple times had said to me, see that guy walking down the street, wearing this, that, got the yellow shopping bag. He's got a 357 Magnum in that bag. He's here to off somebody. Yeah. This was a guy i had arrested several times for drugs. We weren't adversarial. It wasn't right. a negative thing. So I walked up. I wound up, long story short, my partner came. We blocked him off. He reached for the gun. It turns out it was a three fifty seven Magnum revolver and illegally carrying. And we arrested him. He was supposed to do time. He didn't. And about a year later, he shot and killed a police officer with the same Ugh. sort of gun. Ugh. But what people saw was some guy walking on the street minding his own business. They didn't see or hear everything else. They didn't know what happened. And they didn't know what happened afterwards.
1: Yeah, that's... Uh That's a story that is now being told, but there's so much that goes on to when you even went and approached that person the first time that didn't happen by accident. That was a That was a long learning curve and experience. Well, uh, it starts with having
0: experience with the guy that, that had told me I had wrestled him several times and we developed a track record of credibility. I knew he was being honest. That doesn't happen.
1: Right out of the academy. It just doesn't. No. You earn that with someone. It That's something that, uh, you know, we build up our credibility with people by dealing with them in very difficult circumstances. But yeah. that's what makes those relationships so solid.
0: The other thing, too, is Ed, is I could tell by the way the guy was walking that it was an unnatural walk. When he knew yep. that I was following him, there's an unwritten, unspoken, communication between the street cop and the bad guy and i'm oversimplifying it right then i knew this guy was right and there was this could be bad and the minute he put the bag on the hood of the police car and there was a loud metal clang we knew
1: that he knew that we knew that he had a gun right right you were you were already in action you were already prepared yeah, using your senses, yep. And it's absolutely. so hard
0: to describe that in court. It's so hard to, well, it's not so hard in court. It's a lot harder to describe to someone who has no law enforcement experience or background.
1: Yeah. When you mention no background and experience, I think about when I first got on the street after I got out of the academy, when I knew absolutely nothing. And unfortunately, in the department I worked in, uh, when you were a rookie, uh, a lot of veterans didn't want to work with you because... They just didn't want to get, be bothered with trying to teach you the rope. So back in those days, they'd pair you with another rookie. So I remember we we're working out on a sad, hot Saturday night. One, and uh, this was the day before uh, we had uh, the communication systems we had today. And I was asked to call the police station from my car. And they didn't want to put it out over the air so people would know. And uh, I, d- I found a pay phone. I called in. And uh, what's up? And uh, right away dispatcher, the sergeant, actually says to me, you know where Charlie's bar is? And I says, yeah, of course I know. He says, well, there's a guy in there wearing a tuxedo. He's about six foot six. He's arguing with another guy in there. And somebody just called and he said he's got a gun on him. Go in there and take it away from him. So my first feeling in the gut of my stomach was, wow, this is really serious. Somebody better call the police. (laughs) (laughs) You are the police. (laughs) That's exactly what I felt like wait a minute, there is nobody else. It's me. So I went back in the car and just a little quick background on this. This was at a time when race relations were, this is coming in the, out of the 70s, uh, when things were still pretty raw in terms of white police officers and blacks, uh, and blacks in our community. And this was primarily a black patron bar. So I had to pull up out front on a hot night and the uh, jukebox is playing louder than you can even talk. And there's people all over the sidewalk. The place is crammed inside. So I get out. And everybody's looking at me like, uh, you know, I I just walked out of uh, some type of a movie or something like I certainly didn't belong to them. So I was waiting through the crowd and don't I see this big guy wearing a tuxedo and he's yapping away at this other guy almost as tall as him and I have to walk over to them And I got to do my job, so I get in the middle of them, and I'm looking up them, and I'm looking up at the other guy, and then uh, I'm saying to the guy in the tuxedo, look, I got a call that uh, you got a gun on you, and I'm going to pat you down. And what nobody could see was my knees were knocking while I was looking up at this guy. And then finally, I just gave him a cursory pat, he didn't have a gun on him, said to myself, thank God, and I walked out of that place uh, in one piece. But uh, that was my first experience with really understanding that I was the go-to person in the emergencies.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's quite of a – I didn't have the luxury a lot of times to think about it until afterwards, Ed. You know, in hindsight, it's perfect. It's 2020. We go into these calls, and with the exception of, like, doing raids or we had one guy in our district, we get a call for the wintertime, a guy in his underwear, out in the middle of the street, in baltimore and he's got a front bumper of an mta bus in his hands he's rocking the bus we knew who it was and we knew this would be right. a big fight right and, and he was the nicest guy in the world when he wasn't drinking when he started drinking right. all bets are off other than that those two types of things i didn't have the luxury of thinking ahead of time okay you go handle business then afterwards like oh my goodness that was so close it could have gone right. so south so many times
1: exactly you know when I first got introduced to this idea of the sixth sense um, it came about by working with people on the job who um, had a similar type of learning style that I had there weren't many but there were a couple and we got to talking about you know how things happen and uh, one night I was working by myself in a cruiser and we had a robbery that took place uh, at a department store and i went to the call with all the other cars and everybody else looking around and it turned out that this uh, young woman probably 20 years old is coming out of the department store going to her car and some guy goes up behind her uh, puts a gun to her head pulls the trigger back and she can hear it and demands the money, her money, and of course she turns it over right away. We're going to take a short and, break.
0: We're talking with Ed Cronin. When we return on the Law Enforcement Show, we're going to talk more about this armed robbery and hopefully how it was resolved in a peaceful manner. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Trust me, you don't want to miss what's coming up next. We'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is Where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right, you can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, Go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit flintstonemedia.com for podcast samples. That's (laughs) flintstonemedia.com. turning our conversation with Ed Cronin on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Ed is a retired police chief twice over. He starts as a street cop, obviously, and works his way up the ranks. He is an author. His website's justpolicing.org. There's so much he's into. We'll talk about that in a moment. For when to break, Ed, you're talking about this armed robbery call. A woman gets accosted by a suspect. He pulls out a gun. She hears him cocking it, and then what happened?
1: Then he demanded her money. He put the gun to the back of her head and scared her uh, so much that even after the robbery had occurred and we were talking to her, she couldn't stop crying and shaking. She had been so traumatized. And uh, she ended up giving the money, and uh, the guy took off on foot. And uh, myself and quite a few other officers, you know, uh, looked for other witnesses, and we did the. Drive arounds, we went in uh, different streets and things of that nature and spent quite a bit of time there, but weren't able to come up with a suspect at the time. And so eventually all the cars uh, started to clear, and uh, I was going to have to write a report and uh, see where it goes from there. Um, so, one of the things uh, I did, which is something I got into the habit of doing, was uh, I pulled over after I left the store. Not far down the street, and just waited for everybody else to leave and completely clear the area. And I think this is what kind of when I look back on it, and we talk about this sixth sense. I went into, I would say it like a reflection mode. And what I described that as is, um, I knew what had happened. I knew who the victim was. I had the vague description of the sub suspect because he was masked. And sometimes I didn't realize it at the time, but you have to sit back and let the thoughts come to you. And that was an opportunity for me to just sit back and reflect on what had happened rather than getting caught up in the adrenaline of the crime and the moment and everything else. I sat back and I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to take one more ride through and I'm just going to sit back and see what happens. And I took the victim with me in the car and sure enough, uh, we're going down a couple of side streets and all of a sudden there's a wooded area and this guy walks out and, uh, the woman was in the car with me and she said, you know, that could be him. He's about that size. And, uh, I said, okay, well, we'll check him out. And I called out and, uh, pulled over and this guy was walking on the side of this road. It was like pitch dark. There was very there was no street light at the time. And I called out to him, hey, I says, I want to talk to you for a minute. And he said something like, Leave me alone, I'm going home. And I said, Hey, stop it. And I finally got up behind him and I grabbed his arm and I turned him towards me. And uh he was a pretty stocky guy. He was in his early twenties. And uh nothing remarkable about him other than wearing jeans and a jean coat and uh, I just instinctively went to his belt to touch for a gun to see if something was there and then he grabbed my arm and we began a wrestling match and before you know it um, we were pulling each other back and forth yanking with all our strength and uh, I was trying to pull him down to the ground he was a pretty strong guy and When I felt like I was uh, in the middle of this thing and I didn't know where it was going, another car pulled up and my buddy, Phil, my partner, one of my partners showed up and I heard him yell out, hang on, Eddie, hang on. And I did. I hung on as long as I could. And uh, Phil came over and uh, with both of us, we managed to slam this guy down to the pavement finally. And then I was yelling at him where's the gun where's the gun he said you know it's in my pants it was deep down in his pants and sure enough i went in i caught it caught it in his pants i found it and the first thing i did was i took it i tossed it because i wanted it out of the equation until we flipped this guy over and we uh, were able to cuff him and bring him in but that was a situation where you know many times you get into these robbery situations and uh you know, we go down, we're full of adrenaline, we're looking, we're looking, but sometimes you just have to sit back and yeah. let it come to you.
0: Yeah. And, and part of what we had to do, and I'm, I'm sure you can relate to this, you know, I, I tried as a rookie to, to, to think, well, how would I act if I was a criminal? And mm. to some degree, that works. However, yes. I had to learn from experience, what would I do if I was a criminal in this area? what they do and 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 try to act accordingly and we would have really good cops and they would like everybody rushed to the scene and the bad guy was already gone then you have a right. few that go up perimeters and look around and they'd sit silently and say man if i was a bad guy i'd be in this area i'd be coming down this street and boom there right. they were
1: right i that's exactly what happened that night i couldn't put that into words at that time but I, you've accurately described exactly what happened you know you, you sit and even unconsciously, you're trying to think about, well, not trying, but thoughts are going into your head from your unconscious about what's this guy going to do next?
0: Yeah, and, and terms- it changes. And, and it was a, a steep learning curve because. You know, I'm not a criminal. I've never been a criminal. And I don't think like a criminal. And my wife asked me the other day watching television. We were watching something on one of these investigation shows. And it was about a serial killer. And she's like, why would someone do that? I'm like, I don't know. To this day, I can't think like they do an nope. armed robber, a car thief, someone who did a murder out of passion, whoever it might be, I can kind of understand and and predict what their next move might be. But someone who kills for the sake of killing, I just don't get. Same with serial rapist, I don't get them at all.
1: No. Um, one of the things that I did learn, you know, moving on uh, after being a street cop and being a detective was, um, you know, the old adage about you get more with honey than you do with vinegar. Yep, And uh, I found that no matter, not in every single case, but almost pretty much generally speaking, no matter how bad the people were, they're always looking for some kind of an affirmation. You know? Uh, I don't know. Maybe it could be a cup of coffee. Maybe it was a cigarette. Or maybe it was just a way of connecting to a person and uh, giving them a sense that you understood that they were a human being, and once you develop a way of working with people like that, that's when that sense kicks in too. Right. And then once you once they lower that guard, once that um, that buzz or that feeling about them goes down, that's when you can get a good read.
0: You know, we get a lot of evidence. We bring someone in, let's just say murder, and we have a case on them already. We always want to get a confession because that's a way right. of, of of like putting your frosting on the cake. And I want to give right. an example <phone rings> who killed all those people in, in South Carolina. People made a big stink about the police buying him lunch. And uh, when, when you talked about attracting more flies with honey to do with vinegar, that's what I thought of. Quite often, we we had a suppressive feeling of, I really want to strangle this guy and the good cop, bad cop, all that stuff. Got to buy him lunch, get him a soda. Here, you want to smoke, whatever it might be. And it seems like we're buddy-buddy, but that's all done to accomplish a sense of trust so they will tell you what happened. Am I wrong?
1: No, you're absolutely right. Um, But I think even if it goes, it can even go to a higher level. Where, for me personally, you can be compassionate at the same time as being revolted. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, and uh, I think, you know, that's the highest call that you can answer when you can actually, you know, you got to do your job. You're not going to do it any less. Uh, But, you know, the last thing you need to be doing is the pouring, you know, pour. Coals on the fire. Right. And make somebody more humiliated. We're going to take a short
0: break. We're talking with Ed Cronin. We have so much more to talk about. He is a retired police chief twice over, Uh, has a website justpolicing.org. Author, there's so much heading your way. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
1: John discovered a cool new app and he just can't put it down because it has millions of great podcasts, including
0: law enforcement today so now you can listen anytime anywhere and also chat with john it's called podopolo it's free on either app store so join john there follow law enforcement today and dm john when you do that's podopolo download it now there's only one official facebook page what you do you do a search on facebook for law enforcement today radio show Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one of a kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. The Law Enforcement Today's Show joining us, we have Ed Cronin on the phone. Ed is retired police chief twice over. He's also an author. His website, just policing.org. When I say you start as a street cop, Ed, that I said before, that's a compliment. And he worked your way up to police chief or police commissioner. There's different terms to wherever you are in the United States. Quite often, the the upper and I This is something about my career that I was always angry about. I got promoted sergeant, got hurt and retired young at the age of 33. I wanted to go on to let lieutenant or above because that's where I thought I could make a difference for policing, not just for the community, but for the cops themselves. And maybe it's a a recent thing, and I don't don't think it really is. But so many of the people that make it to police chief and the higher echelons of law enforcement seem to have forgotten what policing is all about or they never knew.
1: Yeah, it, 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 it's very easy to, you know, to go in that route. And uh, first of all, I really appreciate you, you know, asking me about uh, when I was younger because you do forget those things, you know. And naturally, when you become an administrator, you're dealing with a whole different set of issues, you right. know, you're not doing the uh, the job, let's say, anymore.
0: Yeah, when I made it to sergeant, it was a totally different role. And it took a long right. time for me to... to begin to get better at that role. To go from street enforcer or street cop to frontline supervisor is not an easy transition. It might be the toughest one of all.
1: I think that that is definitely the toughest one, especially when you're promoted and... You're promoted over senior people who, uh, as we know, police has a very strong culture and a strong sense of seniority and, you know, paying your dues on the job. But when you go into management, uh, all those things aren't necessarily a measure of whether or not you're going to be a good leader. So you really have to deal with that uh, change in the environment and the culture.
0: From your experience, what would you say would be the the, the least understood aspect of of upper echelon police management?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think um, the part that I think a lot of us in the policing want to uh, say that we're good at but we really are lacking in is understanding the trauma. That police officers see on the street every day, and the cumulative amount of hurt, damage, and self-medication that goes on because yeah. these people are just overwhelmed.
0: I get. It. I see. I see videos, um, countless examples of a guy who was like a choir boy, and I say guy it could be man or woman. The best didn't matter, and then within a few years, they are disciplinary problems. They're drinking too much, and they have quick fuses and they're the ones who are instigating problems and I look now back then I didn't see it I look now Ed and I go that's someone who's
1: probably negatively impacted by trauma yes and then it turns into the self-medication and all that and you know and then also you know sometimes you know we don't screen people properly when they come on the job you know um someone you know could be coming on the job loaded with PTSD from other areas in their lives, you know. And we have a <laughs> these Minneapolis tests or whatever they call them, you know, that really don't screen for real trauma. You know what I mean? Right. So I I think you know, but you know, once we hire these people, we own them, and not only in the sense that we own them, we own owe them a responsibility to support them and stand up for them. Right.
0: And our our community deserves that. One of the things I say all the time is, look, I I am, and anybody who's a sergeant or above, if they put the needs of the community above the needs of the cops, they're out of balance. If they put the needs of the cops ahead of the needs of the community, they're out of balance. You've got to weigh both. You've got to make sure they're okay, they have what they need to get the job done, and most importantly, they do the job the right way. And that's not an easy task.
1: No, it's hard. To, it's like having kids, you know, you got to treat them all equally. You know, you can't favor one and not favor, you know, you're absolutely right. And that was uh, that was a constant battle as an administrator, trying to make sure that you were doing both ends.
0: You and I are both out of law enforcement. And when I we see the news and I talk to all these cops, one of the things that is a huge problem across the United States is they're not retaining experienced people and they're right. having a hard times recruiting the best of the best. So my right. fear is look if if I've got a visitor and they have a heart attack, more than likely when I call 911, the police are showing up first. And I want the best right. of the best to show up. Right. And I'm so worried that that's not the case anymore. I know we've got great cops. I know we do, but I know they're leaving in droves.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the facts are the facts right now. We are in a time period, I think, where going into the profession is not seen as the uh, career that people want to do that they might have looked at differently 10, 15, 20 years ago. But I also think that this is a phase. And I think we're going to get through it. I really do. Um, And things, you know, have to come out. Um, You know, we have good police officers. We have plenty of uh, great police officers, and we have occasionally we have a bad apple, and uh, we have to deal with it. But um, I really see a long view on this, and I really think we got some really, really good people. And some are leaving, and untragically, it's it's the case. But I think we're going to be okay in the long run.
0: Uh, it, w- reason I'm bringing it up, Ed, is you talked about when you were a rookie, you got to sign mm-hmm. another rookie, and when we see agencies that have the vast majority of people on the street are under seven years, uh, under five years, I get very concerned because there's a learning curve. From zero Mm -hmm. to five years, you, you get a lot of learning. From five to 10 is when you start becoming good at what you do. From 10 to 15, you're really good at what you do. We have people 15 years plus that are street cops that are really, really good, and they're saying, I want to become a house cat, and I'm not saying it's an insult, I understand, or I'm retiring. And we have a lot of youngsters running streets, and that gives me great pause.
1: Yeah, it is. You know, when I actually left the streets, it was quite a while ago. Things were starting to go really sour. Um, I remember when I first came on the job; it was, you know, it was it was pretty uh, predictable. You knew who the bad guy was in the neighborhood, and uh, you know, occasionally you had an emergency or something, but. You know, once we had so many different people coming into our city, we had this transition of population and things, and they were getting all these young people who didn't even know who they were. They didn't speak English. Um, you know, some of these kids were coming from desperate homes and uh they were dealing drugs they're 14 15 years old and if they are dealing they're probably carrying so it got to the point where i was worried about going home at night towards yeah. the end of my time on the street you know and it, it wasn't like that when i started out you know it was a, it was a real you know you were part of the community you knew everybody
0: and then you um, made a big transition once you left law enforcement am i correct
1: yes i did i did um i was very fortunate in that uh I had a good police chief in the sense that he let me, let's put it this way. I always said when I was a police chief, when I said, talk to my guys, you know, some of the guys will say to me, you know, it all depends who you are, if you're going to get anywhere in this department. And when I became a police chief and I went back to my department, I said to them, it all depends on who you are. And I didn't mean that to say as a favor. I meant to say that as if you are really good at what you do, you're going to get my support. Right, exactly. And the other chief that was there did that for me. and He allowed me to go to England to do some studying over there with the British police. And that completely changed my life. Uh, I got to see how other people were doing things in the world. I learned from other people. And before you know it, I was uh, involved with taking police officers to Russia. I mean, bringing Americans to Russia bringing other Russian police officers to America. And I eventually was working uh, part-time on state department programs. And then through the leadership I had with that, I applied for a job as a police chief in a small city. Um, And, to my shock, they hired me. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> I
0: almost want to laugh, say, don't they know who I am? They're not in a great way. But you've got this website, justpolicing.org. Very quickly, what is sure. there?
1: If you go on there, you'll see a little bit about who I am and my background. Also, uh, my co-author, Dana Kendall, uh, has her stuff on there. We're developing it right now. I'm going to be putting on some pieces of podcasts on different topics from police reform to um domestic violence and can things people of that contact
0: nature contact you at
1: just yes they can get a hold of me directly and they can also purchase my book awesome i gotta
0: cut it off right there ed thanks so much for being a guest on the law enforcement Today show very much appreciated thank you i'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the law enforcement today radio show The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor, tell a friend. And if you're able, leave an honest review and or rating. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.